You know, have you noticed lately that there are a lot of there are a lot of times in the Bible where Jesus is at a party. He knew how to party right without a hangover. Amen. If he had an invite, he went. Amen. He was there. And uh, generally, he ran into some things that he could work on, right, for people, help people out. Message five, the motivation of worship. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. Go to verse 36. It is a story that we've looked at before, and we're going to look at it again. The motivation of worship. I hope you've been following these. They will end up on the sermon note section of the website soon and along with our prayer closet with all the prayer needs listed and the book of Ephesians will be there. Um, it was 135 pages but I, I wrote with giant print and I double spaced and all. We're regrouping that down so it fits better. All right? And you'll have the verse of scripture and you have the bullet points under it. You can use it for devotional or whatever you want to use it for. Amen. We gave our word that we're going to give that to you, and we're going to get it to you. I promise you. All right. Besides the book of Ephesians, it blew me away. I, 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 it's been years since I taught it, and coming back to it, it reminded me that God had dealt with me before to go back to Ephesians about once a year and just read the thing through and do what you call your own report card. You know, get a refresher. Get reminded. Amen? Even if I preach this last week, which I didn't, if I preach it again today, it'd still have something in there for you, right? Because it's the Word of God. Luke chapter 7, go to verse 36. Verse 36 in Luke chapter 7. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Are you following with me? So where are they at? At the table. At the dinner table. I, I cannot help but be overwhelmed every time I read this passage of Scripture about this woman because in one passage, Jesus said, this thing that this woman has done for me, they will talk about it forever. She'll be remembered forever for what she did. You know, I'd I just like to remember everybody's name. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Watch this with me. Verse 37, And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisees who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman who is touching him is, that she is a sinner. Well, he knew real well who she was. I'm kind of wondered about that from time to time. Think about that a little bit. He was getting upset with Jesus because he didn't know who she was, but he knew very well who she was. Are you following me here? All right. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. Let me give you a little heads up here. We're about to move into, in a couple of weeks here, uh, replacing the Ephesians series as we're going to get into a series of messages from David Platt called Radical. 
Now, Jesus is a guest in this home. If you're a guest in somebody's home, don't you usually just say, I'm not going to make waves? Jesus never cared what people thought of him making waves. He never, you're going to have to start thinking about Jesus differently because Jesus is not the American Jesus that we have made him out to be. He's an entirely different Savior, and we're going to have to learn who that is, all right? And Jesus answered him, Simon I, have, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors who owed him, who owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who forgave more, he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. I, I can't even hardly read this without it gripping me all the way deep in my spirit. Did you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet. Folks, I looked at the original rendering, and she saturated his feet. She could not have wet his feet more if she had a bowl of water. That's the type of crying she was doing. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. Back up one. Verse 44 again. I want to read it. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We come full circle back around to the original question we started this series with, what is worship? Worship is our response to the presence of God. Some people face a tricky question when it comes time to celebrate Christmas or a birthday with our friends, which is, what do you give to someone who already has everything? Many of us have someone in our lives who seems to have unending financial resources, and so they purchase for themselves every new gadget or technological device that inventors dream up. It's hard to come up with anything to buy them. If they really want something, you can pretty much assume that they have already bought it for themselves. Such people are extremely difficult to buy for as they already have everything. In a sense, God is like that. He's the creator of all that exists, and you would think that he already has everything he wants or needs, but does he? But does he? Perhaps one of the things he wants but does not have is your individual worship. Yours, not mine. I'm talking about, you know, I'm talking about this for me and you for you. As an individual, is God getting from you what he wants from you? He takes great joy when you offer him the gift of praise, then worship, and, and all of that with thanksgiving. Amen? It is the perfect gift for the God who has everything. What is worship? Worship is the spark that enters our souls as a result of falling in love with Jesus.
Do you remember when you were a child, how you would sometimes vigorously shuffle your feet across the carpet so that when you touched someone else, it released a little spark? I had a lot of brothers and sisters, and we would torture each other with static electricity, but listen to this. It gave them a tiny shock because the friction from your feet moving across the carpet built up some electrical power that was at a touch transferred from your body to someone else's body. Worship is a little bit like that. Pay attention to me. When you worship, in a sense, you rub up against God, which produces a sort of spiritual electricity that releases a spark into your life. People ask me, well, if I pray, if I pray and I ask Jesus Christ into my heart, how will I know? You know, I have never met anyone that prayed that prayer that didn't immediately sense something's changed. Something's happened. You can't rub up against God. Amen. You can't reach out to him and touch him without a transfer taking place. Amen. If you're paying attention, you'll notice that Jesus attended a lot of parties. He was into parties because that was where he could find a group of people who were not only enjoying themselves, but ready to be touched by God. Listen to me. And that is exactly what happened in the story from Luke's gospel. We're going to examine about six different things. First of all, the first thing we're going to examine is the setting. Put that up there, Nathan. The setting. Number one. A Pharisee named Simon was holding a dinner party and requested that Jesus join him. When Jesus is invited, he always comes. Listen to that now. When Jesus is invited, he always comes. Amen? When Jesus is invited, he always comes, including into our hearts. When a woman from the city who was identified as a sinner learned that Jesus was going to be at this dinner party, she turned up. She brought a jar of perfume and began to anoint his feet. She wept. She wet his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair. Then she anointed them with the perfume. Typically, when one would have a party and invite a rabbi to come, it was because you wanted to hear him speak. You would have the dinner in a courtyard, and often other people who had not been invited to the party itself could still listen from the outside. This woman was probably one of the listeners in the courtyard, but she got up the courage to come inside. Everyone there knew she was a sinner. She had a bad reputation around town. Many biblical scholars assumed she was likely a prostitute, a woman of very questionable morals. In the eyes of this pious Pharisee, the woman was making a scene. You ever, you ever assumed that someone was making a scene? She was crying uncontrollably. That's another thing that I got from studying the original. Her, her crying like, was almost as if you would describe as she was inconsolable. She was crying uncontrollably with enough tears falling that she could use them to wet Jesus' feet. The perfume was extremely expensive and would have cost about a year's wages, so this was a very extravagant act. The act of letting her hair down was a sign. Listen to this to me now carefully. Don't trash this point. The act of letting her hair down was a sign of intimacy and availability. Do you understand what I'm saying? She was opening herself up to God. She knew that he knew what she was and who she was and what her life had been all about. She was keenly aware 
that Jesus knew the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The Pharisees were scandalized. Here was a sinful woman letting her hair down and bawling her eyes out, crying up a storm. And Jesus didn't seem to be concerned or even be aware of who she was. The Pharisee challenged Jesus. If he were a true prophet, he would have recognized who this woman really was. You got the setting? Because we painted a picture for you. Let's look at the second thing we're going to examine. Jesus responds with a parable. Because people walked in sandals along dusty roads, their feet quickly became dirty. So it was common custom to have the servant clean the feet of the guest. Wiping the feet of a guest was the job of a servant. The response of Simon the Pharisee was to judge the woman. He saw himself as morally superior to her. And he thought that Jesus was unaware of the state of her morals. But Jesus knew exactly who she was and what she had done. In response, Jesus told a parable. Jesus also knew, knew exactly who the Pharisee was. He answered the Pharisee's thoughts. He read his mind and saw his judgmentalism and hypocrisy. The parable was of a moneylender who had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii, the other owed him only 50. Because they couldn't repay their debt, the moneylender forgave both of them. So asked Jesus, which of them, therefore, will love him more? 500 denarii would be about two years' wages today, whereas 50 would be about two months of wages. If you were in financial trouble, but you're only about two months behind, you'd have a lot of hope that you'd get caught up, wouldn't you? Simon knew the answer. The one who had been forgiven more would love more. Jesus told him that he was correct. So that's the parable. Now let's examine the realization of sin and the embrace of grace. The sinful woman had responded to Jesus in a way that she did because she realized the depth of her sin. Pharisee had no idea. She was keenly aware. She was willing to make a spectacle of herself in order to let Jesus know that she knew she needed his grace and that she was grateful for the change he was making in her life. She responded with worship. The people who truly understand the grace, the people who truly understand the grace of God make the truest worshipers. They knew what they had been saved from. The true worshiper in this story is not the Pharisee, but the sinful woman. She is responding to the grace of God. Can you say amen? A primary motivation for worship is gratitude for God's grace and God's mercy. Number four, we're going to examine forgiveness and the intimacy of worship. The woman had responded to Jesus through an act of worship, but Simon had not done any of those things that should be done to honor a guest. Contrast their ways of worship. Jesus was more than a guest to her. She wasn't just giving a polite nod to him or doing her duty, but she was intimately serving someone who had changed everything for her. She wasn't just giving a polite nod to him or doing her duty, but she was intimately serving someone who had changed everything for her. The Pharisee didn't show great gratitude. 
The Pharisee didn't show great gratitude because he was blissfully unaware of his great need for forgiveness. He was unaware and he didn't care. That's where I got the word blissfully from. Her worship came out of a heart of love and gratitude for grace. Self-sufficiency is the great sin in the Bible. Self-sufficiency. I don't need anybody. I don't need anything. We must recognize our need. Number five, we're going to examine gratitude initiates worship. All too often, we're like Simon the Pharisee and don't see our own sins as being as bad as those of others. We don't recognize how God has given us grace to avoid sin. We couldn't have been able to do that on our own. Because he was self-righteous, Simon couldn't really worship. Didn't cross his mind. He was more interested in Bible study and theology than worship. Did you pay attention to what I just said? You can put all kinds of things ahead of worship and die in it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Do not forsake that which is most important for that which is less than. Amen? True worship is throwing yourself at the feet of the Savior. It may involve some tears of repentance and gratitude as it did for the woman. Especially if we recognize the depth of our need. It isn't just the action that makes for worship. It is the attitude behind the action. I remember pastoring in a certain small community. And there was our church. And there was the First Baptist Church. And there were a whole bunch of other churches. But the two big ones were the church we pastored and the First Baptist Church. I'll never forget the revival that broke out at the Baptist Church. And you know why it broke out? Listen to me carefully. I'm going to lay it out there for you. Get ready. The pastor got saved. The pastor at First Baptist Church got saved. Been pastoring for years. Been serving in the way that he thought was right and needed to be and all. Until one time in his, in his devotional time, it, came, it rose up in him, that scripture. Um, turn from me, ye worker of iniquity. I know you're not. Rose up within him. And he knew that God was saying to him he had never opened his heart and really let God in. Now, you'd have thought that some of the people in the church would have got upset. No, they got excited. Pastor got saved. You know? All right, let's move to number six. The key question about worship. That's what we're going to examine in closing. I love that. The key question about worship is, how much do you love him? That's the key question about worship. How much do you love him? If you see yourself through your own eyes, you may think you're pretty good. I'm in pretty good shape. But you need to see yourself as God sees you, needy for him. Worship is always a response to a relationship. No wonder the Pharisee didn't see any need to worship. He didn't really know the Savior. He didn't really have a relationship with him. 
Listen to this carefully. This is an important point. In a relationship, it is important to express how you feel. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I've been married for 43 years to this beautiful woman who loves God, and it's hard on her sometimes, you know? I mean, I'm, a, I'm an intense person. Do you follow on that? I'm a pretty intense guy, you know? And I can be a challenge to live with. But there's one thing she doesn't have to live without every day of her life, and that's me telling her, I love you. Am I, if I'm lying, you tell them right here, and I'll get saved all over again, all right? No, I tell my wife every day because evidently she likes to hear that, and I like to hear me saying it, right? I love her, right? I'm in relationship with her, so she doesn't have to guess how I really feel, all right? In a relationship, it's important to express how you feel. It isn't just a religious duty. It isn't just going to church. It is adoring God because of his grace toward you. We need to keep remembering what God has done to keep our worship fresh. We need to keep remembering what God has done to keep our worship fresh. The woman's worship isn't sophisticated or even seemly, but it is passionate and it is true you know how I know because Jesus himself recognized it amen she broke open the alabaster box of perfume which was an act of extravagance what costly thing in your life are you willing to relinquish and give to him you know what? I, I looked at what she was doing, and I wrote these questions. Your reputation? I mean, everybody else in the crowd thought she was ignorant, that she was wrong, that she was unseemly, that she shouldn't have been doing what she was doing. Jesus is the only one that received it. Amen? How about your convenience? I remember being a part of a revival. Matter of fact, it was when Ruthie and I first met. Um, we met in this church, and within a year we were married. And then shortly after that, I was on staff at the church as an intern. We had this revival in the church. And the church would seat comfortably about 600 people, but you could pack 800 people in there, and we packed 800 people in there. And for a week, we had these meetings every night, and the Spirit of God was moving. And between 200 and 400 people were outside the church walls, crowding around the windows, looking in to see if they could see what the Holy Spirit was going to do next. About 1,200 people in a place that comfortably seats 600. So you got them crammed inside wall to wall, and you got them outside by the hundreds trying to see what God's going to do next. So we tore our house down next door, and we put up a tent, and a 1,000 people a night showed up for a month. My grandmother was healed of cancer in those meetings. You know, she was due to go to cancer surgery the next morning. Little Baptist woman, God knocked her down. You understand what I'm saying? God knocked her down. Not playing here, right? And my little grandmother, I'm freaking out because grandma's only like 86 pounds, you know, and bam, she hit the ground, raised her hands, and prayed for 45 minutes with her hands up in the air, right? 
Then we scooped grandma up, took her home, put her to bed. Next morning we're there, we take her to the hospital. They take her in for cancer surgery. And four hours later, I'm waiting to see why aren't they out here telling me how the surgery went when they came out and told me, well, we're gonna send your grandmother home with you. We've been examining her for four hours every way we think of, we've drawn blood, we poked, we prodded. She doesn't have any cancer, see? So, that's a powerful thing, amen? Whether your sins are heinous or public, or heinous in public, or more of a white-collar variety, you need to recognize what God has saved you from and how much you need him. A sophisticated sinner is still a sinner. We're not getting away with anything. You better trust me on that. One day everybody's going to be in heaven, going to be before the throne. Read for yourself, and there will be no place to go. Listen to me carefully. The floor underneath the feet of everybody is going to drop away. You're going to be suspended in air, nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. Man, I want the blood of Jesus Christ on me. Amen? All right? All right. Let us never forget where he found us and be filled with gratitude and worship. For he has made us for worship. That's what he made you for. You think about it. Well, I'm a pretty busy person. I got a lot on the schedule. There's a lot on the menu here. I got a lot of things going on. No, you were made for worship. That's what you were made for. If you're not doing it, you're just missing it. All those people out there that have not accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior, they're just missing it. They're missing their very purpose for sucking air. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know what that makes them? Oxygen thieves. There's a lot of oxygen thieves out there that don't understand why God made them. Anybody ever ask you, I, I don't know what I'm here for. I don't know what my purpose is. You tell them, well, I know what your purpose is. What are you going to do, hurt their feelings? What are you going to do, run them off? Tell them, well, you were made to worship God, Right? Let us never forget where he found us and be filled with gratitude and worship for he has made us for worship. Don't forget where you came from. That is your motivation for passionate worship. I got a bunch of things I wrote here. It'll only take 30 seconds to go through. Little, little statements. Comparing yourself to others is always dangerous. Can you say amen? You show me a man or a woman who understands grace and I'll show you a worshiper. Amen? If you don't have a desperate need for God, you can't worship him deeply. Grace is not only what God has saved you out of, grace is also what he saved you from getting into. Think about that next time you want to hit the switch. Ponder that for a little bit. Worship is a response to relationship. We already said that. If you love someone, you want to express your love. You can't seek his face and save face at the same time. Amen? Five sermons. All about relationship. Amen? Five sermons. When I started this, I had no idea that there would be five. I mean, not really. You think, just how many? And you know what? Listen to this. How did this passage of Scripture... And now I'm just going to pray for us. We all need prayer, amen? Oh, my goodness. 
I, I just want to read the passage of Scripture. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner, and when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and kept wiping them with the hair of her head, and kissing his feet, and anointing them with perfume. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Now listen to him. Listen to Jesus. What did Jesus, what words did Jesus use to describe what she was doing? Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Listen to me carefully. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Listen to me now. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For you loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table and with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. There is another rendering to this story that says, since I came in, she has not ceased to worship. Jesus called all of that stuff that she did worship. Do you see what I'm saying? That's why it brings tears to my eyes. So I can't read the story without it having a vast effect on me. 